This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to Argyle Chat, the weekly Argyle podcast brought to you by Plymouth Live Sports Desk. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Argyle Chat, the weekly Plymouth Argyle podcast brought to you by Plymouth Live. Joining me to look back on Saturday's defeat of Bradford City is Chris Harrington. Hello, Stu. No Jack today, I'm afraid. No, there's no Jack and there's no Mike Parrish either. We did advertise the fact that Mike was going to come on and have a little bit of a chat about Plymouth Parkway because obviously they had a big game at the weekend. But Mike being a uh, student has a lesson this morning that he'd forgotten about so uh, he can't join us he but, can't join us but we will talk about Parkway later in the podcast because yep. uh, they've had a fantastic season and um, although they didn't get the result they were hoping for on, on Saturday I think it's worthy of uh, comment isn't it absolutely and especially with so many sort of ex-Argyle youth players and what have you in, yeah, absolutely. in the ranks as well yep. let's start the day though Chris yep. um, or start the podcast rather by having a chat about Bradford um, do, do we have to issue I'm afraid we do is it, I'm is afraid it, we do am I contractually <laughs> obliged you <laughs> thought your nightmare journey home was going to be the end of it didn't <laughs> A bad day at the office, by the sounds of it, Chris. Uh, a bad day at the office, and a, and a cold, muddy one as well. It was, uh, it was one of those days you almost look back on it now and think, I wish the referee had called the game off um, because of the conditions of the pitch. Although that would have then meant a trip up on a Tuesday, Tuesday night, night <laughs> when we've got uh, a trip yeah. to uh, Lake Norrent coming up on a Tuesday and a Monday game against Dexter and Easter and things like that. So, no, I mean, the pitch conditions weren't the reason why Argyle were beaten and, and uh, so it was the same for both sides cliche time and it was just a, a really bad day they they fell behind in, in the sixth minute to a, a poor goal um, Ben Richards Everton I always get them the, the double barrel bit the wrong way around that's right isn't it <laughs> Ben Richards it Everton right, yeah. um, he, he got above Scott Wooten at the far post from the corner and scored with a header that shouldn't have happened. And then, you know, Argyle have, have, have got an uphill battle. The pitch isn't conducive to their style of play, but, you know, credit to them. They, they kept trying to pass the ball. They didn't just lump it forward in the hope that something might drop. Um, sending off Gary Sawyer obviously makes a difference. You're down to 10 men just before half-time. And then in stoppage time, uh, Dylan Connolly, the player who had been fouled by Gary Sawyer, scored with a fantastic strike. Uh, as Ryan Lowe said afterwards, Two keepers wouldn't have saved that one. It was mm. a magnificent strike. Two 0 down, down to ten men at half time. It's it's a it's a big ask from there, isn't it? The sending off of Anthony Sarsavik as well later on in the second half doesn't help. So you finish with nine men. Yes, Ryan Hardy gets a late goal, but it's in a losing cause. And I suppose if Argyle had lost, that's one thing. But to lose and then to have your skipper and top scorer suspended for a, a good period of games, we can talk about that in a minute. Um, that just made it even worse. Yeah, well, let's talk about the red cards then. Mm. Any complaints or do you think they were both justified? Um, at the time, I thought Gary Sawyers was with, a, with quite a bit of force and I, it was a bit of a lunge. Um, now, I've had a look at it on the TV replay. The referee doesn't have the benefit of this. You know, certainly in the League 2, there's no VAR, is there? Um, I do think there is a case that Gary Sawyer was unlucky to be sent off for that. Um, 
one given the conditions you know the ball was sticking up it wasn't running freely you know I think he's gone in with the absolute intent to win the ball I don't think there's any malice I think his foot's down um, yes he's gone in with quite a bit of force but you still are allowed to tackle in football as far as I know I know there's been lots of rule changes but I think a good solid tackle is still allowed in the game um, it would have been good if the referee an experienced referee would have said look Yellow card, anything else like that, you're straight off. Um, and again, it's consistency, and we always talk about consistency, don't we? But I, I saw some highlights of um, Scottish Cup quarter final played on an absolute bog of a pitch at St Johnston. They were playing Celtic, one of the Celtic players is speeding down the wing in the second half, and he just got completely cleaned out. And I mean, no exaggeration. No, nowhere near the ball, just took him out completely, yellow card. Mm. Um, so I, I think Gary Sawyer is a little bit hard done by and the referee can't take things like this into, into um, context but Gary Sawyer is now going to be banned for four matches. It's a three-match ban for a serious foul play. He was sent off for a similar challenge against Newport earlier in the month or at the start of the month. So that's a four-match ban and I think for that tackle with no malice, the, you know, it seems a bit harsh to me. Uh, I'm trying to look at it objectively and not look at it too much from an Argyle partisan view. But you know, if you're not allowed to make tackles like that on a muddy pitch, mm. and, and and you're going to get red carded, you, you're not going to have any tackles. And that no. is part of football. That is part of a defender's, you know, armory, isn't it? You yeah. are allowed to tackle to win the ball. As for Sir Anthony Sarsavik, he was booked for dissent. Frustration was growing in the second half. Argyle felt decisions weren't going their way. They felt that Kyle Boyson was giving Bradford too many free kicks, too many decisions. You could see Anthony Sarsovic getting uh, irritated by that. He obviously said some words to, to the referee after one foul by Callum McFadden on the edge of the Argyle box. Got yellow carded. And then when you're on a yellow card, you have to be really careful. And he's made a challenge again on Dylan Connolly, the same player that was involved with the Gary Sawyer incident. And, you know, it wasn't a horrendously bad foul, but I think more often than that, it's going to be a yellow card. And so, in summary, Stu, I think Gary Sawyer was unlucky. Um, Anthony Sarsavik, I think that was, you know, that was yeah. fair enough. I mean, the, the, the Sawyer one, I think it's a real shame because you did an interview with, um, or yeah. Gary, Gary Sawyer rather, yes. did the, the, the press yeah. a week or two ago. And he spoke at how disappointed he was because he'd gone throughout his career and never had a straight red card. Yeah. Had the one against Newport. And, and now he's got two in a month. Yeah, exactly. Which, again, both for sort of heavy tackles where, you know, I know Gary Sawyer well, he, he's not, you know, I know people say something, he's not a malicious type. He, no. I have no doubt in my mind, in both occasions, he's gone with the absolute intention to win the ball. Um, now, players get sent off even if that is the case, I accept that. But I do think in, in certainly on Saturday's example, there's there's he's gone to win the ball. It's it's on a bit of mud. The the ball's probably not quite run quite as accurately or smoothly as you might have expected. And in a split second, you know, a millimetre or two you you're too late, you're a fraction too high, whatever, and you're sent off and like I say, I just think in those sort of conditions, maybe an experienced referee would, would be mm. a little bit more lenient. Um because yes, you've got to adhere to the rules, but if you're gonna give sending offs for tackles like that, you could end up nine versus eight or something like that, and games could become a farce. And uh, I, yeah, I, I feel so sorry for Gary. So, and like I say, even if you want to argue, yeah, he should have been sent off. 
you know, to get a four-game ban for one ever so slightly maybe mistimed tackle, that, that does, seem, does seem harsh to me at a crucial stage of the season. Yeah, with regards to the referee, was he influenced, do you think, by the home crowd? I mean, obviously there was a big crowd there. Yeah. As you said, it happened right in front of the dugout it, as well. It was so. right in front of the dugout, uh, the Bradford dugout. Stuart McCall had a, as good a view of it probably as anybody. It was very close to him. You know, all the home dugout go up, which, you know, any, uh, any dugout yeah. would do that. I'm not going to, you know, criticise them for doing that. Of course they would do that. I don't think Dylan Connolly helped with the way he span around on the ground and, you know, looked as though he'd been mortally wounded and you know a couple of minutes later he's up running around perfectly fine but I accept that you you don't have to seriously hurt somebody to to be sent off and if you don't seriously hurt them that doesn't mean you can't be sent off I I accept that but um, I think in front of the dugout the way the player reacted big crowd could have had an influence on on the referee although he is one of the most experienced referees in in the country he regularly referees games at Bradford because he comes from Hull, which isn't too far away, so he, refereeing in front of a large crowd. Strangely enough, Bradford never actually attend, announced the crowd. Um, oh, really? unusual. I, I don't know if anyone's actually seen it. I meant to check uh, today, actually, but I've no idea what the crowd was, because it was, it was never announced on any of the channels. But what the, Carl Boy, Boyson is used to refereeing a, a Valiant yeah. Parade in front of a big crowd, so uh, maybe a little bit, maybe not. But, um, yeah, it was... You could debate the, the the red cards till till you're blue in the face. I accept that some people would say that Gary Sawyer should be sent off for that tackle. All I would say is that you know defenders are allowed to tackle, and on a muddy pitch, you know he, I, I just think a yellow card and a really stern you know anything else and you're off uh, would have would have been the right call. But yeah. I suppose if I was a Bradford City reporter working for the Telegraph and Argus, I might be saying something different. But I'm trying to, I'm yeah. trying to look at it. I always try and look at things objectively because there's no point me, you know, being biased or partisan to Argyle about things like this because you lose all credibility, don't you? Yeah, it's worse uh, the club's job to do that, really. Well, it? maybe. So, so, no problems with Sarsavik. I think Sawyer, a yellow okay. card and a stern talking to. Yeah, I mean... You have to say, when Argo went down to nine men, you just thought, that's it, game over. Yes. But fair play to them, you know. They they really sort of dug in, mm. pulled a goal back through Ryan Hardy, mm. and that was on 87 minutes. Yeah. So they still had a little bit of time. Was, did they threaten at all to get that equaliser? There was a couple or? of times the ball sort of fizzed across the, the Bradford penalty area, and you could sense they were tense. Yeah, I bet. You know, because you, you're 2-0 up. At the start of the second half, they had two or three really good opportunities to put the game well out of sight. Alex Palmer... And made two excellent one-on-one saves. Um, he really is a, a very good one-on-one shot stopper, and uh, they they were excellent saves. And then Clayton Donaldson missed, not quite an open goal, but it wasn't far short of it. So you could argue that Bradford could have been four or five up and, and out of sight. But was it as bad as Chris Porter's miss for Croup? No, it wasn't as bad as that. Nothing. <laughs> I don't think anything would be as bad as that. But it was pretty bad. Um, so. But credit to Argyle, you know, to go down to, to nine players, you feel like the world's against you uh, and to keep going. A little bit of fortune with the goal because the goalkeeper's let it through his legs and nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, he'd probably save it, save it. But it still showed the mindset that Argyle had. I mean, in the 80th minute when it's 2-0 um, and Argyle are down to 10 just before Sarsavik's uh, sent off, you know, Ryan Lowe sent on Dom Telvers as a striker for a holding midfield player in Tariq Backinson. So you're 2-0 down, you're down to 10 men and you're playing with three strikers. 
Mm. Um, so there was no thought in his head about we're going to try and just hold out for 2-0. Well, he, even with 10 minutes to go, he was still throwing on strikers to, to try and get back into the game. So I think that shows the mindset the manager's got. Yeah. And then that that should and probably does translate to the players. Yeah. We've had a few questions sent in. Um, good, good. Craig, Mc, Craig McFadden. I'm not sure if he's any relation to uh, the Argyle player. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ryan knows an experienced show today. It was made for Taylor and Hardy up front from the start with that pitch. Well, um, Brian G. Woodward said mm, something similar. He, he mm, would have gone with Taylor and Jeff Cott mm, uh, and brought Hardy on later when Bradford were beginning to tire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Searle's asking, do Argyle have to bite the bullet on pitches like Bradford and play the conditions rather than stick to the football mantra, uh, play football mantra at any cost? Comes back to that whole, you know, Ryan knows one way of playing and it's, that's the way they're going to play. It is, and um, I'm glad you asked me that, Stu, because one of the things I was doing before we recorded the podcast was I, I've done a story for the for the website about why Ryan Lowe didn't abandon the usual passing style because I asked him after the game. We stood by the pitch after the game, and, I mean, it ruined my shoes. There was so much mud, <laughs> Stu. Um, and, I mean, it was, it was a mess. So I did ask him, you know, why did you stick... You know, why... You know, why... Or, why didn't you change? And I think if I just read what, what he said yeah, to you, and then this, this might just sort of cover some of the points raised by Craig, Brian and Dave. So he said, um, I said you know, we said to him, why didn't you ad- adopt a more direct back-to-front approach given the conditions? And he said, and this is, this is the quote, we did that last year at Newport. Now that was when Ryan Lowe was the manager of Berry. He said, you try and change your tactics and we got beat. I held up my hand for that. So I was never going to change the tactics again. So he's done that in the past. He felt it didn't work. So he's going to, if, if he's going to lose, he's going to lose on his terms, not by trying mm. to be something else. You also asked about, you know, Ryan Hardy and Ryan Taylor both sent on as half-time subs. Joe Edwards and Luke Jeffcott were taken off. Byron Moore moved to right wing back. And so... Why make the change then? We put Ryan Hardy on up there to stretch them, and Ryan Taylor was outstanding. The both of them were. So in terms of tactics, we are always going to go out and try and play our way. In the first half, we had some good bits. We played some good stuff, but the early goal goal kills you. So I think he's making it quite clear. He has done before, and if ever there was a game where you would change your tactics because of the pitch conditions, that was it. Yeah. And he is still adamant. That is the way he wants to play. Now, you can say that's stubborn. You can see that, say that's inexperienced. Um, but he's done that once before, changing his tactics at Bury uh, when they played at Newport. And Newport's pitch, as we all know, is pretty bad at, yeah. a lot of the time. It didn't work then, so he feels... And you can argue the point about this. I, I think this is good strength of character in some ways. I'm going to stick to my principles. We're going to play the way we train to play, the way we prepare to play. And if the pitch conditions aren't great, then we're just going to have to make the best of it. Mm. And I, I'd be interested mm. to know, though, he mentions that he did it with Berry mm. at Newport last yeah. year. Um, I think, obviously, got different personnel, different players in his yeah. ranks at Argyle. Perhaps Argyle are more suited, though, to be direct. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know, put Ryan Taylor on and, yeah. and go along and use him as the target man, as Derek Adams the, used to. There's um, Brian Woodward says, as in, I would have gone with Taylor and Jeffcott. And, you yeah. know, there is a case to say that on a pitch like that, Ryan Taylor would have been an option. I suppose one thing to bear in mind with Ryan Taylor is he was just back from injury. He'd only returned to full training on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So are you going to throw somebody that only returned to full training on Thursday 
and ask him to start a game on a mud bath at Valley Parade two days later. He's unlikely to get through 90 minutes, isn't he? Well, he certainly wouldn't have got through 90 minutes. No. Um, so, uh, you know, he played 45, I accept that. Ryan Hardy is a good point where, again, he scored a goal as a sub. That's five goals he's scored, all as a sub. Um, and at some point, you know, he's got to start, start games. I mean, he's coming on and having an impact, but in that game, he's come on and had an impact, but they're still lost sort of thing. So... Brian Hardy must be champing at the bit to play, so I can see uh, I can see where Brian's certainly coming from on on um, bringing on but that, Hardy. That's later. an interesting one because we've spoken on the podcast before, and I remember mm. Jack saying, you know, mm. Hardy's been coming in, and he's not been playing as well from mm. the start. It's, mm. His role at the moment seems to be as a super sub, and yeah. it, it is a different and, and mentality it, when it, you start a game compared to coming off the bench. It is, and it's it's generally working well, but um, you know, at two 0 down, it was perhaps a bit of a tall order, wasn't it? So. Um, but everyone's going to have an opinion on things like that. You know, we've got three three good questions. Thank you to Craig, Brian, and Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they've all gone for slightly different options and and takes on things. At the end of the day, the manager's paid to make those decisions. He's done what he's done. Uh, was his tactics to blame for the first goal that Bradford scored? No, that was a, a header that should have been stopped. The second goal goal is a fantastic strike where. You know, nine times out of ten, the ball wouldn't have gone in the net. Um, you're down to ten players, then you're down to nine. If spots, maybes, and things like that. But uh, after a game like that, there's always going to be question marks of uh, questions of ref- uh, managers' decisions, and they just have to take that as part of the job. Mm. On balance, I I wouldn't have disagreed with too much with with uh, with what he did. To be honest, you know, the team had been on a good run of form. Yes, they'd drawn two games before that, but. Byron Moore and Luke Jeffcott have been playing pretty well up front together. You know, they've, they've formed quite a good partnership. Yeah. You know, do you want to break that up, really? And if you are committed to playing, we're going to play on this, whether whether the pitch is yeah. a mess or not. If you're committed to playing the way you normally do, then why bring Ryan Taylor into the team, for example, or Ryan Hardy? Just carry on the way you've been going and hope you can make the best of it. So I, the people at Bradford, you know, Stuart McCall and people I spoke to were, were impressed that Argyle tried to, you know, play their play their normal game yeah. despite the conditions but maybe they're saying that on the back of the fact that they just won the game and picked up three points it's, yeah. yeah absolutely um, I mean it, it's, it's always a tough place to go isn't it Rally Parade mm. and, and we spoke before, on the podcast last week about the importance for Bradford we felt that that was a game that if they had aspirations to get into the top three or even into the playoffs they really had to win that game and yeah. you've got to give them credit as well they came out and by the sounds of it started well and put Argyle under pressure They've got some good right players. They've got some good players. You know, they they shouldn't have been ninth in the table with the squad they've got and the attacking ability they they have. They had uh, what Shane McCartin, Lee Novak, and Dylan Kent Connolly playing behind Clayton, Clayton Donaldson, and they can still bring on some decent attacking players as subs. You know, mm. after that, so uh, they've been underachieving this season. I thought they played okay, and and they they deserve to win. But um, yeah. it was yeah, it was a bad day at the office. Going back to the pitch as well, I mean, you have to remember as well, it was only a few weeks ago that Argo went up to Macclesfield and played on not as bad a pitch, but mm. similar in, in the sense that it was very boggy, very, yeah. you know, hard to play on. And to be fair, they, they stuck to their principles in that game and they came back and got the equaliser. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, I'd rather have a manager who sticks to his principles than changes every other game and people don't know where they're, mm. whether they're coming or going. I think if I was a player, I don't know about you, Sometimes there is an argument that sometimes you've got to be prepared to be flexible and have a plan B. But I think on balance, 
if I was a player, I would rather know this is the way we're playing and this is what we're going to do, rather than, oh, today we're going to do this and next week we're going to do that and the week after we're going to do that. But um, at least uh, the other players know what's expected of them yeah. now. They just have to go out and do, do the jobs um, that are expected of them. Absolutely. Well, welcome back to the second half of the podcast. Um, we'll finish with Bradford now then, Chris. You've got that off your, off your chest. Thank you, Stu. Can we move on? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thank um, you. you did an interview with Simon Hallett last week, which yeah. was um, very interesting. He spoke about a five-year plan and making Argyle a sustainable championship club. Mm. Um, what was your take on the interview you did with him and the, the comments that Simon made? Um, well, it's always interesting to talk to Simon because he has got some some good good ideas good thoughts he's he's very open um so he's an interesting guy to talk to i think that the point that he was keen to stress about having a five-year plan and making argyle sustainable in the championship cup was was two parts to it sustainable financially and also sustainable in fact that they retain that status and they don't become a club or the weren't a club that went from the championship to league one and then maybe bounced around he he wants them to be sustainable as in they are going to be regular members of the championship. Now, Argyle have done some research into championship clubs, budgets, revenues and things like that. And um, Simon Hallett feels that Argyle, with the crowds they could potentially have, with the grandstand producing the revenue that they hope it will do, they could be top of the bottom third in the championship in terms of revenue. And if you can do that, then you're almost as close to challenging for the playoffs as being as in, in the relegation zone. Um, so he feels that it's 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 achievable. And Brad, Brentford was mentioned as an example of that isn't a huge club, but have made an excellent job of becoming a force in the championship um, on not huge revenue. Um, he did make the point that Brentford... Uh, are more sort of buy players and they'll sell them on. Well, they got rid of their youth academy. And that was the point he made, that he said, that's one thing we won't be doing, we won't be getting rid of our academy. I think uh, Simon Hallett is very keen to get the Argyle academy functioning better and and having more players that, one, get into the first team, and two, and he didn't make any bones about it, selling players on. Uh, And uh, he, he did mention Exeter. He is an admirer of what Exeter do in terms of producing their own players and selling them on and making money. And uh, I don't think he'd be shy about Argyle doing that at all going forward if they could get to the stage where they're producing enough um, academy players to do that. So it's good to have a plan, as, as Ryan Lowe said. I, I, it's great to have a plan. Whether we can achieve that, um, time will tell. But can Plymouth Argyle, with the support that they've got, or the potential support that they've got, and I know potential is the word we always use about Argyle, but with the, even in League Two, they're averaging 10,000. So with the level of support, with the grandstand hopefully bringing in extra revenue, with the support of a chairman who's proved beyond doubt his commitment financially and emotionally to the football club, if they can get the... The infrastructure's all set up. Yeah. The difficult part is actually getting the team to get up through the divisions. And when you're in League Two... The championship seems a hell of a long way away. But in five years, is it impossible for Argyle to be a sustainable championship club? No, I don't think it is. I think the infrastructure's there, the chairman's there, the, the, everything is there, but it's not going to be easy to do it. But yeah, they can definitely. They can, it's, I, what's I, the I, saying? Shoot, you know, you've got to shoot high, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. 
you know, what's what's the point of being in football if you're just going to be content to be a, a mid-table League yeah. One team? So I, I think back to the podcast we did with Neil Warnock, mm. and Neil Warnock said, mm. you know, he's he's pretty sure that Argyle are now mm. really yes. well equipped yeah. to go on and yeah, well, he said, he said it, get into it? the Championship. Yeah, and, so it's it, it's achievable. Yeah, won't be easy. Um, no. um, but we'll see uh, Stephen Bryan mm. sent us a question in about it he mm. is somewhat sceptical and wants to know if Simon is doing anything additional to raise funds for a five year push and what area must improve or what area must Argyle improve on in order to learn from the financial mismanagement and mistakes of the past well the latter is don't spend money that you haven't got, got. absolutely I mean that's fairly simple and that was the Cut problem that Argyle that was what Argyle Led to Argyle ended up into administration. They, the 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 board at the time spent money they didn't have, and uh, and they couldn't come up with. And you know, you can point to all sorts of things when clubs ended up in financial trouble. But surely that's the simple answer, isn't it? To basically every football club that ends up in money. If you don't spend money, you know, if, if you haven't got the money, don't don't spend it. And and fans might moan sometimes, and we want this and we want that. But if you haven't got it, don't spend it. Otherwise, you run the risk of. Uh, ending up in trouble. Argyle know that only too well. Um, Stephen says, uh, is Simon doing anything additional to raise funds for a five-year push? Well, I suppose by investing eight, nine million pounds in the grandstand, the plan is that that will produce a substantial sum of money each year that will then get invested into the team uh, and into the infrastructure around Home Park because you know whether people like it or not. Sometimes football ground football grounds are quite expensive. Yeah, they um they consume money as well. There's always things around a football ground that needs repairing, updating, and things like that. So, but if the grandstand is producing the revenue that uh, that they think it's capable of, that will make a big difference. Um, Simon told us that um they're about to sit down and and start planning the budget for next season. He said that's a big budget for them. This year's been difficult for them because the grandstand. I think they were working on the basis would open close to the start of this season. It didn't. It didn't open until the new year, uh, or fully open until New Year's yeah. Day. So I think with the with the the money that they didn't get in in the first part of the season from the grandstand, um, paying off the old management team of Derek Adams and and Paul Watton, and a few other bits and pieces. I think Argyle, by the sounds of what Simon Hallett was saying. I think the financial report for, for this season is, is not going to be great. There's going to be quite a big loss. Um, and then, of course, a relegation in there as well, so there's less revenue coming exactly. in from so, uh, TV and what have you. So the, the raising that the grandstand is the key to all of this in, in lots of ways. Simon Hallett's put plenty of money in. I don't think it's realistic for anyone to expect him then to dip into his pocket and say, I'm going to give you know out of my pocket an extra sum of money to Ryan Lowe to spend on mm. players. The key is, is that... Um, they support Ryan Lowe and the players to the best of their possible ability. They hope the players perform, that Ryan Lowe gets them performing, they get good results, the crowds keep coming on, the crowds build, the grandstand's there, you've got a bigger capacity at home park, the grandstand is now usable seven days a week effectively instead of one or two days a week. That brings in the extra revenue, you can put that extra revenue into the team, you make yourself sustainable and you, and you grow from there. You sell players, from your academy, you sell players that have made the first team and have gone on to do good things. Um, all those sort of factors you've got to, to put into place. I think if anyone out there thinks that 
Simon Hallett should just be there writing checks for, I'm going to give you this amount of money for this player and this amount of money for that player. That is not going to happen. I don't think it should happen. No, no. Stephen makes a point as well about raising funds. You only have to look at what Argyle are doing in the summer as well with mm. Little Mix and yeah. the, the concerts that are going on at Home Park. Yeah. That's all part of the, the, the long-term plan and, and ways of raising mm. funds to reinvest in the football club. And Simon Hallett said they're looking at other ways of, of generating um, events, staging events at Home Park. And you know, he's open to ideas from anybody you know, about you know, how can we get Home Park um, being used as much as possible to raise as much as much money. That's that's why Simon Hallett's put so much of his own money in because he feels that is the way that Argyle can become a sustainable championship club. So um, my only question regards to it is mm. when he talks about seeing Argyle as top of the bottom third, third. in the championship. Yeah. Is that maybe their ceiling, perhaps? Yes, um, with him as with him as chairman and owner. Yeah, probably. And I guess the he didn't say to be fair he didn't say as much but I think his it's his and the club's five year plan he specifically mentioned top of the bottom third so I think he would say and I hope I'm not putting words into his mouth but I think he would say that's about as far as I could take them mm. now you I look think, at I think you look at the clubs in the championship and that are losing millions and millions and millions they have to be bankrolled by very rich wealthy people often. You know, foreign. Yeah. There's probably as many foreign owners in the championship as there is in the Premier League. I, I don't know. That. I'm saying that off the top of my head, but uh, if I if you want to be competitive at the top end of the championship, it strikes me, and I don't know all the fat, facts and figures, but it strikes me you need to have an awful lot of money, and I think that would be another level from what where um, what Simon Hallett could or would be prepared to to put into. But um, Crikey, if he could get Argyle to the bottom. At the top of the bottom third of the championship, I'll yeah. take that. And I'm well, sure that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Is. That's what you aim for. And then, if they get there, then you might reevaluate the, the situation yeah. and, and reassess your targets. You know, then you know if if Argyle are doing well, and you know, this is we're getting way ahead of ourselves. We've got yeah. an important game against Grimsby tomorrow <laughs> night to, to look forward to. But if Argyle were a sustainable championship club with good gates and a, you know good infrastructure, then then some somebody else might think about this is something yeah. that I could invest in. And, and take the club further, and I'm sure Simon Hallett wouldn't stand in their way. So, yeah. um, but uh, and you look at Brentford; they are a pretty unfashionable club, and you have to give them credit for their recruitment process because the players that they bought in and sold on. You know, I'm thinking Neil Mopé was mm. at Brighton. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk of Ollie Watkins now going yeah. on to bigger and better things. And Simon Hallett did say uh, about data analytics. Yeah. And Brentford used data analytics a lot, and I thought it was really interesting what Simon Hallett said about the Argyle way, their football philosophy that they're going to develop, and that basically they're going to have a a criteria, a guideline of the players they want. Sounds like Moneyball. I, I think it is to a degree, and of <laughs> yeah. course Simon Hallett's lived in the United States for twenty five yeah. years, and Moneyball is um, Massive, being adopted yeah, in in American sports, baseball, the Oakland A's, and things like that. So. Um, yeah, I think he's a, he's a big believer in data analytics. Yeah. He he said to me that they've signed a contract with Opta Sports to provide the data analytics, and that is going to be something we hear more and more about. And it is going to get to the stage where I don't think it's going to get quite as far as this. But in American sports, you have a general manager who does the sort of the business side of the dealings, and the coach coaches. Now in football in this country, the manager has been basically done pretty much everything traditionally hasn't he yeah i do think it sounds as though simon hallett 
under the data analytics with Neil Dewsnip as a director of football, they, people will draw up lists of players that fit the Argyle way, that fit the philosophy, that fit the budget, you know, and then it's right here, manager, here's six players that we've identified yeah. with all the analytics that we think that will work, they've got the qualities we want, and, you know, they're not going to tell the manager what players to sign, but they'll narrow it down yeah. and try and identify exactly the right fits of players to reduce the risk of making bad signings, players that don't fit the style. And the other thing, and, you know, we could spend hours talking about this, but the style will stay the same, whoever the manager is. So if and when Ryan Lowe moves on, the next manager, will, the Argyle board will be looking for the next manager to play a very similar style of football. So that the players you've got in the squad, even though the manager might change, you don't ha- then have to change the players because the style changes the same. Often at football clubs, you, the manager changes, you go from one style of football to another, and then the squad that you've got can't... And there's probably a little bit about that Argyle this season, certainly earlier in the season. Yeah when the existing players found it hard to adjust to what Ryan Lowe was looking for. If you've got players that are, have been brought in for the Argyle way and the manager, whoever it is, is going to pretty much stick to that principle, then there should be less turnover of players and more consistency, in theory, anyway. Yeah, no, so you can certainly see where Simon's coming mm. from. And I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there when you speak about the American sports influence and the mm. fact he's lived there for 25 years and he's seen it work. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense, really. Um, how important are these next two games then, Chris? Grimsby on Tuesday night and then Macclesfield. On paper, they're both winnable games, aren't yes. they? But as we know in League yes. 2, there's no such thing as a winnable game. You must have read the piece I did in, uh, on, the, <laughs> on the website because I said, on paper, in theory, you'd like to think they'll pick up six points. But it's never as simple as that in League 2. Um, We've seen with Macclesfield, haven't we, just the other, the other week that Argyle went up there and had to fight really hard to get a point. Obviously, this time they'll be at home park. Grimsby are coming down to, down to Plymouth on the back of a 3-0 home defeat by Northampton. So that, that wasn't a great result it for was, them. It was interesting to see, actually. I looked at the team Grimsby played and Ollie rested a few players mm. for that game. The goalkeeper, who's one of the best goalkeepers I've in League 2, yeah. Yeah. Mm. he was rested. Mm. And a couple of others as well. So I don't know whether he had half an eye on the Argyle game. Oh, maybe. maybe. Um, they're, they're about as safe as you can get, Grimsby. Yeah. And, you know, they're not going to get in the playoffs. They're not going to be relegated. They're very important games. If you, if, uh, and I wouldn't assume anything in League 2, so I'm going to make that clear from the start. I'm, I'm not assuming. But if they could get six points from those two games, that would make the league table look a lot better. And um, then with nine games to go, they would be... You know, in a in a good position, so they're important. Yeah, no, no two ways about it. Two home games at this stage of the season. When you get into March and you're going for promotion, the playoffs, whatever, you have to make most of your home games. Um, so yeah, no getting away from it. They're very important. Yeah, and of course with games elsewhere, Exeter at home to Crewe tomorrow night yeah. as well. So uh, and Swindon are playing Scunthorpe. Scunthorpe. Yes. So the you know the. Four of the top five are all in, yeah. uh, all in action, aren't they? So and then you've got Cheltenham there, who just mm. crept up from nowhere on and, on a great run form, and it just shows you that I still wouldn't rule out the likes of Northampton and teams like that. Um, they if they get yeah. on a hot streak, they they can still make it as well. I thought that was a result of the day actually. Cheltenham going away to Colchester and winning two. Well, I haven't seen Argyle lose three 0 at Colchester on February the eighth, mm. and Colchester looked like well beaters. 
It's funny, Colchester's results haven't been too good since then. Yeah. Uh, it's, but that's League 2, I suppose, yeah, for you, is. isn't it? But yeah, yeah, no, fantastic result for Cheltenham. And you can't underestimate them. I mean, we've definitely said on the podcast before, but it's worth reiterating that Michael Duff's done a fantastic yeah. job there. And a couple of the signings he's made are really paying off big time. Absolutely. Alfie May has come mm. in and been banging the goals. Yeah. But they were talking about Cheltenham on the EFL show mm. on uh, Saturday night. And they're saying that they've got eight strikers now <laughs> at Cheltenham. So it's yeah. keeping everyone on their toes. Yeah. And, but as we say, they're, they're certainly scoring goals. Mm. Grimsby as well, managed mm. by Ian Holloway. Um, his return, is this his first return to Hope Park? Yes, I think it is. I need to double-double check, but I'm well, sure... Obviously, last... they played Leicester up at Leicester, didn't they? They Remember did. Leicester I think the last time, time, and I stand stand corrected, but I think the last time Ian Holloway was at Home Park as an opposition manager was for Blackpool towards the end of the relegation season in the Championship when Paul Mariner was in charge of Argyle. Blackpool came down in the February or March, it was, and they won 2-0. Um, so that was March 2010, so... Ten years ago. Yeah. So, um, so a long time ago, um, the, you know, there was ill feeling at the time. I'd like to think over time, Ian Holloway's said often enough that he regrets leaving Argyle the way he did. He's a great character. He's a great personality. Um, I, I hope... I'm sure. I'm sure he'll get a good reception. Yeah. I'm sure he will do. I, I, I think you know what happened is way ago. Yeah. It was 2007 when he left. I mean, some of our listeners, you know, would have been probably don't even know Ian Holloway. <laughs> so, it, when Ian Holloway was Argyle manager, they played some great football. They were got up to fourth, I think it was, at the high water mark, or fifth or sixth in the championship under him. He brought some good players to the club. Yeah, the way he left wasn't great, and it, it, but you know. We've moved on. There's lots of water passed under the yeah. bridge. He's, you know, he, he will only talk well of, of Plymouth Argyle and, and the fans. So, um, and I don't think it's much of a secret that he seemed really keen on the job when I'm, Ryan Lowe got I'm it. I'm sure he, he would have so. come back if it had been offered to him in the summer. So, yeah, yeah I, I think he deserves a good reset. I'm sure he'll get one. Yeah. Finally, then, let's have a chat about Parkway. Yes. I was say, really disappointing. I think mm. we were all really upset and saddened mm. to see that they lost up at Heaven at the weekend. Mm. But fair play to Lee Hobson and, and Parkway. What a fantastic run they've had and their season's far from over. Absolutely. They're going for, for promotion in the in the Western League. They've got um, some big games coming up in the near future. You and I are hope we we've promised each other we'll go along one night, Absolutely. We? So yeah. um so uh, because uh, the clubhouse there is very nice. I, I seem to remember <laughs> I had a very nice sausage and chips last time I went to Belitho Park. So uh, I would look forward to that. Um, yeah, they've done a great job this season, Parkway. Um, to get to the FA Vars quarterfinals, I don't think should be underestimated. No, absolutely it's, it's, not. That, that is a very competitive competition. It's not easy to do. Um, they you know, had the benefit of having a home game against West Auckland, who had to travel the length of the country, and they made the most of that. I think it was always going to be difficult to have to travel all the way up to Northumberland uh, to play Hebben. It's a football hotbed there. Yeah. What did you say the crowd was? 1,700, which yeah. their previous best was 1,300 last season against West Auckland in the Vars. And mm. they had hopes of surpassing that this weekend. And they did so by over 400. So that's, that takes some doing. It was always going to be an ask for Parkway to travel yeah. all that way, go to a football hotbed like the North East, play in front of a big crowd, big partisan crowd. Um, I know Parkway took fans with them as well. And fair play for them for travelling such a long distance. Yeah, it's a shame that it didn't happen for me, but how exciting would it have been if they got to the semi-finals yeah, and been absolutely. that close to a, a Wembley final appearance? But I think 
Lee Hobbs, Carl Curtis, all the players, all the people at Parkway, you know, Mark Russell, Jez Bagger, all the people I've apologised over the people that I've uh, neglected to mention, but that is a club going places. Yeah. And um, I, I think it'd be great if they could get into the Southern League. Uh, then you start playing against some decent non-league teams with ex-professionals and um, it'd be great. It'd be great to see them in the Southern League. So I, I wish them all the... I suppose the key is disappointing to have lost the quarterfinals, but that doesn't have to define your season no. or affect your season. If they can go on and, and win promotion, then um, what a great yeah. season they'll Well, I, I spoke to Hobsey last week before the game and he, he said he was, you know, borderline devastated when the draw was made because it was yeah. the worst possible draw they yeah. could have had. Yeah. Away at the favourites, yeah. as far away as you could possibly wish to travel. Yeah. And after I, they'd done so well to beat West Auckland in front of a big crowd at yeah. home, it would have been great to have had another home draw because yeah. I mean, that's the only home draw that they had. In the bars, they did run, an awful lot of talent, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, um, but they got another massive game on Wednesday because they got Bradford, Bradford Town, not Bradford City, but <laughs> Bradford Town or Somerset base, we should say, because Jack was asking <laughs> last week, wasn't he? Thinking it was up in West Yorkshire, but, and they're uh, up at the top as well, aren't they're they? They're second. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're actually level on points with yeah. Parkway with the same number of games mm. played, but Parkway have a better goal difference. Mm. So, uh, and haven't they got to play Bradford at home at as well? Home. That's the one that we're planning to go to, isn't okay, it? Yes. So, um, hopefully okay. we can. We're, uh, we're glory hunters. We're going to turn up for the top for of the big. Game, yeah. If, the, if the rain will stay away, yeah, crikey, it'd be, be nice, wouldn't welcome. it? Absolutely. Cool. Right, well, Chris, thanks for joining me. That's all we have time for this week, and thanks to you out there for listening. We'll be back with more of the same next week. Bye bye. We are always happy to hear from you, and if you have any questions for our panel, please tweet them to our Twitter account at Herald PAFC or visit our Facebook page, Plymouth Argyle The Herald. Thanks for listening.